Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double N. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 510 of the podcast and it is Friday the 2nd of October 2020 as I record this on a really wet and very windy day here in Bath. So if you hear any noise outside it's the trees, I've got these lovely trees outside my window and it sounds like the ocean right now. Anyway, today I'm talking to KM Wyland about outlining your novel including tips for how to do it, your premise, how it ties into discovery writing or being a pantser, but we also get into some mindset issues which are relevant for all writers, regardless of your genre. So even if you're not writing a novel, you might find some of this useful. Of course, outlining for non-fiction can be even more important. (laughs) So Katie interestingly experienced a period of writer's block and burnout and had to learn about self-care. She, as well as figuring out the 80-20 rule for her author business, so what 20% of things made 80% of the difference, basically. We talk about balancing creativity and productivity and refilling the creative well, writing cross-genre and more. So uh, Katie and I have known each other for over a decade online and we talk about that too and longevity in the market. So all of that is coming up in the interview section. In my personal update this week, I'm in hand edits for Tree of Life, which means the entire first draft is done and I'm pretty happy with it. It's a very clean first draft, to be honest. And I think that's, I mean, talking about outlining, I mentioned it in the interview. We recorded it a a while back, but I did a reverse outline at about, well, I must have mentioned it on the show, but about 40,000 words, I think. I did a reverse outline and that really helped uh, with things. I also wrote the blurb early based on what J.D. Barker talked about a while back. And so really, I've learned a lot this year from the various interviews on craft that have helped me make the process of Tree of Life a lot easier. Although, as ever, I'm a discovery writer and hilariously, the things have turned out not quite as I expected in terms of it. It always has been the hunt for the Garden of Eden. But what we find at the Garden of Eden isn't quite what I had started thinking. (laughs) So at the moment, I'm doing this hand edit. So I print the whole draft out and I write notes on it. I find that this really helps because when you're doing things on a screen, there are things you don't see. At this point, I'm I'm mainly doing line edits, sentence structure, word choice, and also making sure it will read well for audio. And I spend a lot of time with a thesaurus at this stage, making sure it's the right word for the rhythm of the sentence. So I feel like I've learned a lot about that. And I've um, talked about that with Jules Horn, uh, whatever interview that was. And also, of course, it's in my book audio for authors in terms of writing for audio but a very important part of the process now and that goes to my editor end of this week so I'm getting there and I did want to mention that I've had the inevitable roller coaster of emotional 
response to my own book. Some days I've been like, wow, this is really good. I, I, this is great. And then the next day I'm like, oh my goodness, this is just terrible. What was I thinking? Why, why did I choose this type of thing? And then I'm like, okay, stop it already. This is what happens. It's a natural part of the process. And as we go up and down in our normal roller coaster of daily emotion, and that might be right now, it can have a lot to do with the new cycle or how you're feeling physically or, you know, there are things, how tired you are. The same thing will happen with your writing. You will never feel every day, oh goodness, I'm doing well. Or in fact, (laughs) you're far more likely to feel the other way. But however you feel about your writing, feel the feelings, but carry on and uh, do your best within the creative cycle. Okay, so I wanted to just talk about the lessons learned from my 50k last weekend. So I did uh, ultra marathon last weekend. An ultra marathon is basically anything over a marathon, so anything over 42 kilometres. So this was a 50k and it was through the gorgeous Chiltern Hills, which are kind of northwest of London and also along the Thames Path. It was absolutely stunning walk. It was also amazing weather. I mean, I look out the window right now and it it's not a great day. So, but it was lovely for the walk. It was kind of cool, bright sun. Although I did actually get quite a tan line with my t-shirt. <laughs> it was perfect. Uh, I did the 50k in just over 11 hours, which I was really happy with. That's including breaks. And I finished strong. Like I walked through the under the finish line, still strong. No blisters, obviously some muscle tenderness, let's call it discomfort, but and I was a bit stiff and sore for a couple of days, but it really was marvellous. And doing these type of events is a great way to see parts of the country and also to have support if you need it. I dislike navigating and so having a pre-set route where they have little flags and stuff means you can just concentrate on looking around and having a nice time and uh, walking as opposed to stopping and looking at maps and stuff. So I had a great day out and there are pictures on Instagram and on Facebook at JF Penn Author. It was completely COVID secure. We all had to wear masks whenever we were in the rest stops and we were all set off at sort of 90 second intervals so there was no mass starch like there usually has been in the rest stops all the chairs were distanced at least two meters so you couldn't sit with anyone or talk to anyone (laughs) so I really didn't talk to anyone all day Uh, there was a lot of sanitizing my hands were well sanitized but basically they did a very good job of making a covid secure event and I guess that's the future of events and obviously we all want events to come back and some of these things that's just how it's going to go. So I wanted to just talk about it a bit because I am really happy I did it. I I talked about pushing comfort zones a few weeks ago but I've done this is my fourth ultra and they have really been variable for me. This has been the best one and Uh, The last one I did, which was the Isle of Wight a couple of years back, and I failed, I say inverted commas, I failed that one because I had blisters before 10k. The weather was so hot, it was boiling, and I pushed myself too soon, too early, walking at a pace that I shouldn't have done, and thus I basically flamed out. And why I mention this in terms of our writing is that 
it really does depend on the day. So like I'm saying about the emotional roller coaster of your experience of your book, you're going to have the same when you do challenges. And books are challenges. They're a different type of challenge. But with physical challenges, the actual day that you do it can make a huge difference. And so the most important thing is not judging yourself and also not judging others. So I had a great day on Saturday, but other people I could clearly see were not having a great day. I saw evidence of blisters. I saw people who perhaps weren't wearing the right footwear, who just hadn't prepared. So for example, I changed my socks four times over the day. And changing your socks and putting talcum powder in your socks is a really good tip for avoiding blisters. Now, the first time I did that 100k race to the stones a few years back, 2016 or something, I did not change my socks on the first day and it led to immense foot pain. So we all learn things with each of the experiences we do that help us the next time. And I feel like I had a combination of good preparation. I've been walking a lot in lockdown and the last sort of six months. So so I'm well-trained. I've been working out a lot. So physically, I was ready. I knew how to look after my feet. And the weather was amazing. I mean, if it had been a day like today, I might have dropped out at 25k because it just would have been miserable. So yeah, so my point there is we all have good days and bad days. And so sometimes you just have to try again another day. If I'd have taken that Isle of Wight experience and said, well, that's it, I can't do this again. I cannot do this. It's too hard. Well, then I wouldn't have had this beautiful day uh, last weekend. So I want to ask you, sometimes you might have to try again another day. So what might you need to try again? What and what is your definition of success as well? Because I was passing people who started hours before me and then other times people ran past me. And if I was trying to judge myself against them, I would have felt like a failure or I would have felt like, oh, I'm so good. And that's pointless too. (laughs) So this is another tip. There will always be someone in front of you and there will always be someone behind you. So comparisonitis is usually completely pointless. So for example, I will never be Stephen King. (laughs) I mean, by the time I'm his age, like in his late 60s or 70, whatever it is, he'll be dead. So to be fair, I will eventually get to the point of being a writer. But he started when he was 14, I think, and I will never have the number of years he's had. So I can't compare myself to him. I'm a different person. And also, I will never be the author who publishes their first book in 2020. Because I've been doing this over a decade. Um, I published my first book in 2007. So there you go. So I can only be me you can only be you. So stop the comparisonitis and use people as inspiration. So for example, I don't want, I'm never going to say never, but I'm not into running. I'm not a runner, but I love these, I love the walks. And there were certainly people walking at a pace that was stronger than me. There were people older than me that were like inspiring. So I can look and be inspired at other people, but I'm not going to compare myself to them. The other thing I wanted to mention was about enjoying the journey. Now, sometimes we get so fixated. And in fact, I get this question all the time. But when I used to speak at events, people would come up to me and they'd be like, well, so how do you recommend that I publish? Or how do I get published? And I'm like, well, how's your manuscript? And they're like, oh, I've only written one chapter. And it's like, whoa, hold up there. Stop thinking about publishing when you've only got one chapter. (laughs) Enjoy the journey of the book. We're always looking towards some future point 
point. The end goal, which might be publication, but to be honest, as we all know who've published books, your publication date is the beginning of a new process. And I cover that in the successful author mindset. But the when I was doing this walk, because I was feeling really good and I was very happy with my situation, I enjoyed the journey and I took a lot of pictures. I found lots of fungi. I love fungi. <laughs> Part of this is tree of life. And I've been watching things on fungi and reading books and just really getting into it. And fungi, fungi, I think you say in America. But anyway, so I found loads on the route. I was like, oh, look at this. And you can check what, what it is on an app and stuff. But I also... It looked at the views. There were some gorgeous views looking up at the trees. I also stopped to go into a church. So St. Mary the Virgin in Hambledon, just a lovely, lovely church. I mean, obviously I went off the route as such and I took a bit of extra time and I had to sanitise and mask off and everything to go into the church. But some of it is from the 12th century, which really is super old, right? Uh, 12th century church. It had a stone font. Not all of it was 12th century, but it, it just beautiful, made of flint, which is also in a lot of the buildings of the area. And it had this beautiful lich gate, which I put a picture of on Instagram, and this incredible painted ceiling over the altar and I just saw people rushing past boom boom go 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 and I just loved this detour and of course I love churches I love graveyards and I love uh, ecclesiastical architecture I think I'd probably do a degree on that again at some point but it really made me think what are we missing on the journey sometimes what and this is why I love book research so many people will say don't read like write books that are that you don't have to research because you'll write faster you'll write more books and I'm like but for me book research is almost the point (laughs) it's the point of writing it's one of the reasons I write is to research. And so the question here is, what are you missing on the journey to publication? What could you stop and make more of? What could you make the most of so that you enjoy the journey and not just the goal? So there are some of my thoughts after the 50k and I am going to do my next walk in a couple of weeks. I'll be talking about that soon, but uh, I will definitely be doing some more ultras in 2021. And what I think I, I know how to do it well now, but also I can always be better. And that's another reason we keep going back to writing more books because we can always improve something. So in useful stuff this week, check out the Six Figure Authors podcast, which I really like. And they're talking about productivity tips this week. Lots of tips from Lindsay, Joe and Andrea. And my biggest tips are time blocking, as in if you say you're going to write between... 5am and 6.30am, then turn up and do it. Uh, So time blocking and also movement. Uh, Obviously, I talk a lot about walking and I love doing weights. I worked out with my trainer this morning and I did some good weights uh, this morning. And I actually wore my, I have a t-shirt that I got printed that is hash, strong woman. And uh, I like lifting weights and also walking outside in nature. And in terms of more of my productivity tips, 
all of mine in my book, Productivity for Authors. And then more books for you. If you would like a ton of useful books, it is almost NaNoWriMo National Novel Writing Month. But whether you write fiction or not, a whole load of us have put together a very special bundle, storybundle.com forward slash nano, N-A-N-O. This is 15 books across craft, business, marketing, mindset, plus a course on how, uh, I think it's how to make the most of your business in a downturn uh, with Dean Wesley Smith. Some of the books included The Nifty 15, Write Your Book in 15 Minutes a Day from Honoré Quarter. So that will most likely be nonfiction because Honoré is nonfiction. 10 Steps to Hero by Sasha Black. Turning Setbacks into Opportunities by Christine Catherine Rush. The Five Day Novel by Scott King. Mastering Amazon Descriptions by Brian Meeks. Stop Worrying, Start Writing, How to Overcome Fear, Self-Doubt and Procrastination by Sarah Painter, plus my own book, Audio for Authors, which is about audiobooks, podcasting and voice technologies is in the bundle. So as ever, it's a pay what you like deal with certain levels activating certain books. There's no DRM so you can read on any device. And because we're selling direct, more money goes to the authors and you can also choose to give some to charity. So just go to storybundle.com forward slash nano, N-A-N-O, to check out the deal for a limited time. And I know you'll find something useful that. So whether you're doing nano or not, or you just want to take your craft to the next level, check it out, storybundle.com forward slash nano. Okay, so thanks for all your emails and tweets and comments this week. Kristen Julius on YouTube says, I so agree about David's BookBub ads expert book. It's an excellent resource. I'm getting some great results after reading and applying his knowledge to my ads. Also, Hannah Steenbock says, it was fun listening to the show for the first time. I can see why BookBub ads might be useful. I stayed away from them forever. So that is so good. Also, Connor Whiteley says, completely agree with the Creative Pen's thoughts on subscription. I'm excited about these changes. I see them as a discoverability and marketing tool. Also, really excited about the idea of author events in Bath. Thank you, Connor. And I will certainly be doing author events in Bath once I, uh, well, once we're all (laughs) allowed to do these things again, it will happen. Also, thanks to Isabel, who sent a picture from a park in the suburbs of Quebec City in Canada. I listen. uh, The interviews are great. I especially love the one about audiobooks and wide publishing from the last few weeks. I enjoy them mostly while doing chores and walking my dog. Fantastic. So you can tweet me at The Creative Pen with a double N or leave a comment on the notes or email me, joanna at thecreativepen.com to let me know what you think about the show. Send me a picture of where you're listening in from. That would be lovely. Right, so today's show is sponsored by Pro Writing Aid, as it's a craft show. Very important to talk about writing and editing software that goes way beyond just grammar and typo checking. And the timing is perfect, as I will be running Tree of Life, my next novel, through Pro Writing Aid before sending it to my editor. This is why software is so useful. It's important to fix everything basic that we can before sending it to a professional so they can focus on the bigger issues. Now, Pro writing aid particularly helps me with passive language. We all do passive language and also commas, (laughs) which are still my own writing nemesis. Now I have had some comments. People are like, well, you should just learn the rules and know them off by heart. And I'm like, yeah, but why when you can use, I mean, of course I learn something every time and I get better, but 
We all need tools and we all use tools in order to become better at the craft and just have another digital eye over our writing. So it has other suggestions for improvement, including things like sentence length variation and complexity, which is great for that audio style writing that I mentioned. Adverbs, repeated words, which again, you can't see often in your own writing. And obviously typos for the specific type of English that you use, which is useful when like me, you're British, but you write with American English. Also, my mum, who writes as Penny Appleton and has a, uh, in fact, she has a Summerfield Christmas wedding coming out soon. Uh, So a Christmas wedding book. Why not? Totally romance, sweet romance, obviously. So my mum, anyway, is pretty tech phobic, like she's not really a tech fan. But I introduced her to Pro Writing Aid and she is totally in love with it. And she says it's like magic. It's really improved her writing and she's on book five. Uh, She uses a lot of dictation and is very enthusiastic enthusiastic with exclamation marks. (laughs) So running it through something like ProWritingAid can really help. There's also the Word Explorer, which goes beyond a thesaurus to help you discover new words. And of course, it works with Scrivener, which is the reason I switched over. uh, So I no longer have to copy and paste individual chapters. So you can check out the free edition of ProWritingAid or get 25% off the premium edition by using my link, prowritingaid.com forward slash Joanna, J-O-A-N-N-A. I've also done a tutorial on how to use it, thecreativepen.com forward slash ProWritingAid tutorial. Right, so this type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing. But my time in creating the show is sponsored by my patrons. And it really, I was just thinking about it today, it is a lot of time doing this show. (laughs) And I try and do the best for you. And you guys on Patreon support me. Thanks to everyone continuing or increasing their pledge at this time. And I really appreciate you guys. And there has been a bumper crop this week. So many, I'm just going to do first names. It was because I did the 50% off the courses, I'm sure. So thank you to everyone. So uh, thanks to Jill, G, Elodie, Scott, Jimmy, Charlie, Jose, Angus, Ambro, Tokyo Terry, Michelle, Laurie, Katrina, Julianne, Caroline, Sarah, Michelle, Renee, Joanne, Diane, Catriona and Torna. Thank you to all of you and to everyone supporting the show on Patreon. It demonstrates you enjoy the show and want it to continue. And of course, for just less than a coffee a month, a few dollars a month, or a couple of coffees, if you're feeling generous, you'll get the extra monthly Q&A audio, which I'll be doing next week. And you get to ask your questions and I share personal things. And yeah, you can support the show at patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, let's get into the interview with Katie. K.M. Wyland is the award-winning author of fantasy, medieval epic, historical and Western adventures. She also writes non-fiction for authors and helps writers become authors on her fantastic blog. Her books include Creating Character Arcs, Conquering Writer's Block and Outlining Your Novel, which is what we are talking about today. So welcome back to the show, Katie. Yeah, thank you for having me. I always enjoy talking to you, so this will be fun. Oh, great. And it's so funny. I buy your books for people probably the most often. So creating character arcs, I have bought for so many people now. (laughs) Ah, that's awesome. Thank you. (laughs) I'm always recommending your stuff as well. People are like, you should write more about marketing. And I'm like, just 
Go to the creative pins. It covers everything you need to know. <laughs> oh, good. That's excellent. Now, and I wanted to talk about outlining your novel because, yes, I have that one on my desk and I have really been trying uh, to get into this. So we're going to talk about that today. But first up, you were last on the podcast in 2016, all those years ago, talking about Vanishing Writer's Block. So give us an update on what's happening with you and what does your writing and creative business life look these days? Yeah, it's funny that we were talking about um, conquering writer's block the last time because I actually like very shortly after that just plunged into several years worth of writer's block which was an interesting experience for me obviously yeah <laughs> because I hadn't <laughs> dealt with that previously so it's been an interesting couple of years and I feel like I've learned a lot about myself about writing obviously and also just about the business side of it but I'm back getting back in the swing of things I feel like so my daily routines are pretty much where I, I'm a slow starter. So I try to get like research or necessary reading out of the way first thing and then move into fiction writing in the morning or sometimes just staring at the screen, depending on what's going on <laughs> Writing and uh, tackle email, social media, just the normal daily stuff right after lunch. And then hopefully I have a few hours after that to deal with other projects. Right now I'm working on my next writing craft book, which is going to be writing your stories theme. So I'm excited about getting that out. And that's what I focus on um, throughout the rest of the afternoon. So it kind of has found it's got its rhythm and it's there's a lot of different things, you know, they have to cover throughout the day. But to try to find that balance between doing the fiction and doing the um, nonfiction and keeping up with all the marketing. But it's, yeah, it's fun. It's something that I'm still very much enjoying even after all these years. Oh, good. I'm now, I got to ask about this uh, several years of writer's block. <laughs> how how did you uh, get yourself out of that? And did, did you, like you said, you learned some lessons. Is there something you can share if people feel like they're in the same situation? Yeah. So I have always said when people have asked me about writer's block that I feel like it's usually caused by one of two things. It's either a plot block, something within the actual story that's not working and that you just have to logic your way through, or it could be a life block. And I think very often that is, and that was my experience, that is the source of these huge time spans of writer's block where it just feels like you're never going to break through. And so usually there's other things going on than just the writing. And um, for me, I discovered that after hitting like the business end of writing really hard for seven, eight years, whatever it was at that point, it was burnout, you know, which I see it's interesting having done some research on that. It's the epidemic of the, of the era for millennials and such that we just, the entrepreneurs are just hitting it so hard. And I think it comes at the expense at a certain point of being more in touch with life and with creativity, which obviously is this tremendously vital resource for anyone who's doing artistic work. And so I really had to take a step back for a time from the business part of it. Um, really got serious about the 80-20 rule, focusing on what 20% of my effort was actually bringing me 80% of the results. And uh, yeah, also learning a lot about self-care, which I was not good at <laughs> in my 20s. And I know you've talked about that too. It's like finding that balance with creating a nurturing lifestyle that brings in the creativity and allows you to maintain um, a reasonable level of productivity. So that was probably the main thing that I really had to 
focus on and work on rearranging in my life to start refilling my well instead of just constantly emptying it in one way or the other. Thank you for sharing that with us because it's interesting that you wrote a book on writer's block and then you <laughs> went through it. But I think you're right about that life block and burnout. And I also feel like there are seasons in our writing life and that sometimes you go through different seasons when different things are more important and that's true in our creative life but also in our life <laughs> like the rest yeah. of our life which is which obviously has an impact on our writing life and yeah I think being open to re- recuperating as you said refilling mm-hmm. the writing it's sometimes just all that's necessary until you feel that urge to go back to the page right did you felt that urge in the end Yeah, I was lucky enough to finally decide to read um, Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way last summer. And it was just serendipitous timing. It was just exactly what I needed. And it's definitely something that I recommend for anyone who's, who's struggling creatively, as I know a lot of people are right now. But yeah, she's all about nurturing that inner artist and doing things that aren't necessarily about publication or creating the perfect um, piece of art or story or whatever that's going to go out and, and wow the world, but very much just about nurturing that inner child and your experience of play within the world. And that was like very refreshing for me and a great reminder. That's what it's all about. Storytelling is, is it's play. And so we need to to focus on that and nurture that and celebrate that rather than trying in some way to turn it into this very regimented thing, this job. It's constantly a job and it's very adult and very serious versus remembering like, this is fun. It's just, it's the joy of discovering and playing with life more than anything else. I remember reading that artist's way when I was living in Australia, which is, I think, when we first connected online. But I basically read it. I, I was working a day job I hated. I read that book uh, and I went, I took myself on an artist's date, as mm-hmm. she suggests, to just up the coast near Noosa. And I recorded a video. It's so funny because my YouTube channel is so old now. But I recorded a video talking about how I just discovered that this book and that mm-hmm. I did the this artist's date and filling the well. And you're right. Those are, it's an oldie but it's a goodie it's amazing how that stands the test of time that book yeah I think it's something you can return to over and over again as we go through these cycles of needing rejuvenation let's get into the topic of today uh, which is outlining and it's funny because you just mentioned that this our writing should be play and it shouldn't <laughs> be regimented and then I feel like one of the issues that people have about outlining is that it feels almost regimented and not like play so let's start with what is outlining outlining in your definition and what are some of the misconceptions people have yeah, I think you like just completely hit the nail on the head in that one of the big resistances people have to outlining is that it's going to take all the fun out of it. And I think when we think of the word outlining, most of us return to high school or college where we had to write these very simplistic, very severe looking Roman numeral outlines. And if that is what you're creating for your story, if you you feel like you have to just in one sitting write this one page outline that completely sums up everything that's going to happen in your story, totally agree. That sounds completely boring and very restrictive to the joy and the play and the discovery of storytelling. And so I think it's so much more valuable to think about the outlining process, not so much as outlining in and of itself, but as brainstorming. 
it is the part of the story for me where I'm just throwing it all out there on the page and seeing it's all of these crazy ideas that may not make it into the book, but they're so much fun. And it's this space, this playground where you get to experience all of that in a safe container where you're also not under the pressure of creating perfect prose, perfect scenes, making sure everything hangs together. It's just a fun time to explore all of the what ifs of what this story could be, what makes sense, what doesn't, what are the resonant themes, who are the characters and what are they going to do? So I think if you start thinking of outlining as this brainstorming exercise, that it is in fact a period of discovery, it becomes a really fun playground for just messing around before you get to the serious stuff of having to put together a first draft that other people will actually be able to interact with. And also it's this safety net where you get to play with all of these things and in in a way that allows you to zoom out and be a little more objective so that you're able to see the big picture of your story and recognize the plot holes or where the structure isn't working or where the theme really isn't resonating with what's actually happening in the action of the story. So I think the foundational misconception is that outlining is dry and boring and is just a Roman numeral outline when really (laughs) it's brainstorming. And another one that I would put in that I've come to see myself over the years is I don't actually think that there's this differentiation between plotting and pantsing, that you have to be a plotter or you have to be a pantser. I think we all are all of them. It's because we all have to do the discovery period and we all have to just work our way through ideas when we have no idea what's going on. And at some point we all have to plot and make sure everything makes sense and works together. It's just that some people prefer to do it at different parts of the process. Some people want to do their structuring and make everything just right up front in the outline, which is what I prefer. But some people would rather do that later on in the revising period and use their first draft as more of the brainstorming period of the process. So I think it's valuable to realize it's not either or that we all do these parts of the process. Sometimes we, we just have to find how to do it in a way that particularly optimizes our creativity and efficiency. Yeah, I agree. And I think people have the perspective. I've heard uh, Jeffrey Deaver, he is, I think you even put him in your book, right? He writes something like 200 pages of an outline. Mm. <laughs> and then, which is essentially to me, most of the book. And, and then he goes through and expands that a bit. And obviously his books are amazing. But then there's Stephen King, who just writes apparently, and uh, Dean Wesley Smith, you're writing into the dark. And so they might be the extreme ends of this Mm -hmm. sliding scale but as you say most of us are somewhere on that scale and we move up and down depending on what book it is or if this is some time travel backwards and forwards thing you probably need more outlining whereas something that's more linear might not need it so I want to ask then you said brainstorming what are some of the ways that people would do it so some people clearly do a bullet list but what are some of the more creative ways if people feel like a list is not good enough for them Yeah, and I will just say there's nothing wrong with the bulleted or Roman numeral list if that's what works for you. It's great. But yeah, for me, I think I like to start in an outline. When I come to an outline, I generally have a few ideas, a few scenes, images, things I know about the story. And I'm going to start by just writing down a list of everything I know about the story and then looking at the holes in between and how they might connect up. 
And so then it becomes this process of what I call what ifing, where you're just asking questions. What if this happened? What if that happened? And trying to really think outside the box and be as creative as possible. And half the ideas are going to be ridiculous and you're not going to keep them. But by getting into this practice of really getting into this brainstorm zone where you feel like anything is possible and that all of the potential ideas are accessible to you, you can really start playing around and, and looking beyond the formula or the stories that you've read. You've read 100 stories in this genre and seeing past what's maybe expected to beyond that to things that do fulfill genre conventions but are unique and interesting and really exciting and fulfilling to you. And I generally like, you can do this in many different ways, but I prefer to do it long-handed in a notebook. I just start, you know, talking to myself on the page, basically. And I like doing it that way because I feel my handwriting is terrible. <laughs> and I can't, I'm lucky if I can read it sometimes afterwards. But there's something about that sloppiness that I find is just like really freeing to my right brain creativity. You know, I'm just like throwing it out there. And you just never know what's going to come out of it. And then at a certain point, it's eventually want to move on to the, the computer where everything's neat and clean and black and white and I can see everything and start ordering and organizing. But in the beginning, it's just this wild spurt of creativity where it really is. It's just a playground where I can play around with all kinds of ridiculous ideas that would never make it into the book, that would never make it past an audience. But it doesn't matter because it's just me playing around and who knows what I'm going to find in between the connecting points of the scenes that I already know are going to be in the story. And uh, yes, yeah, some people do mind maps. I have a lot of mind maps mm-hmm. from my earlier books, I think when I didn't really know so much what I was doing. <laughs> and and I have also seen people, writers put uh, photos of their sort of post-it notes on the wall. One writer, he does post-its on a wall in a sort of thing and then moves them around. And then there's lots of different software if people want to do software at that point. But I, I feel like I've come down in a sort of hybrid area of putting all of this mishmash together because I want some of the benefits of outlining. So why, if people are more discovery writers, what are some of the benefits of outlining? I would say, first of all, that I think that if you, I think we're all discovery writers. And I think that if you identify that way, then outlining is a discovery process. And so just because you've decided, oh gosh, I need to outline, it doesn't mean that you still don't get the fun of that discovery process. I always say outlining is my favorite part of the process. And it's for me, it's because it is the discovery. And that's, that is the most fun part. But I think the foundational benefit of why you would do this, because at a certain point, you're like, what I'm doing isn't quite working. And you're looking for solutions and everybody's like, you need to outline. And so you come into examining that and trying to weigh whether or not it's going to benefit you. And the foundational reason that most people do it is because they keep writing stories, they're having fun, but the stories never quite seem to work. You put all of this time and effort and passion into stringing together first drafts, and then you reach a certain point and you're like, this isn't working, it doesn't make any sense, I have no idea where I'm going, and it's really heartbreaking and frustrating because you may may have to give up on it altogether and realize it's unsalvageable, or you may have to go back and spend as much or more time trying to fix what you've already done. I've been there and done that in both scenarios and they're not fun particularly. Mm -hmm. I think foundationally the reason we outline is so that 
before we get into the really fussy particular work of creating a first draft with all of its many unique challenges, that first we're making sure the big picture, the macro of the story is properly in place and we have this foundation we can build on. So it allows us to create a story structure that's solid from beginning to end. It allows us to make sure that the character arcs and the theme are working together in concert. It allows us to fill in plot holes before we ever get started. And the more, it's kind of a more objective way to look at the story. Because when you're in the first draft and you're just immersed in your words, basically, it's easy to get lost. And particularly if you're spending a long amount of time on it. Sometimes I'll go back and read things I wrote even just a couple months earlier. And I'm like, wow, I didn't even remember writing that. (laughs) And so when you can zoom out on a much simpler view of the story, which is what an outline provides, it allows you to get that more objective look about whether this is working and how to fix what isn't working. I also feel like uh, a series. So I really wished that I had some kind of outline for what became my (laughs) Map Walker trilogy, because I wrote this book one and I didn't know it was going to be book one. I maybe thought it was a standalone. And then I thought, oh, maybe it's a series. And then in book three, I discovered it was a trilogy. (laughs) And it was like, oh, okay. if I'd have known this earlier, I could have foreshadowed better. I could have... I don't know, just added in those little touches that really round a trilogy off. I feel like I did a, a, a good job, obviously, but it was like, oh gosh, if I'd have known that in advance, that really would have helped. And I, I feel like on the sort of, obviously I'm nothing like George R. R. Martin, who was incredible, but I feel like his series that people know as Game of Thrones it is a problem at this point because it's like it's gone so big and so massive that it's almost difficult to bring back to one place. And I've heard other epic fantasy people say that you have to have some kind of series idea. So what's the difference between outlining an individual book and thinking at a a series level of outline? Yeah, I, I relate to what you're saying so much because actually, and it's probably part of, I've had writer's block for the last few years, I also wrote what I thought was a standalone book, my fantasy Dreamlander, many years ago. And then all of a sudden decided, oh, you know what? I'm going to turn this into a trilogy. Brilliant idea. And uh, yeah, it's turned out to be quite challenging and has definitely given me a lot of insight. I'm not at a point yet where I feel like I just am able to write a book on how to outline a series because I'm still definitely struggling through my own understanding. But first of all, I would recommend, say, if it's at all possible, plan your series from the start rather than... (laughs) (laughs) writing your standalone book and then, oh my goodness, what have I gotten myself into? But yeah, I think that foundationally, the, the, the brilliance of outlining from my perspective is that it allows you to access the ending of the story before you start writing the beginning. Because a truly resonant story is one where the ending is found in the beginning. The first act sets up the third act. And ideally, there are no wasted pieces So everything comes together into this really cohesive and resonant whole. Ideally, this is actually very difficult to pull off, especially if you're writing something very big and sprawling, such as Game of Thrones. But when you know how the the story, how the series is going to end, that allows you to build toward that because that's the whole point. I think sometimes we get lost in just the fun stuff along the way, the the romance or the adventure, whatever is actually happening in the scenes. And that's great. Obviously, that's most of the book. But whether or not a story works is going to be determined by how well the ending works. 
And so when we're outlining, we're able to identify that ending before we start writing the first draft. And I think this just becomes more and more important when we're writing um, a longer piece of fiction to find that through line that pulls all the way through however many books so that by the time readers get to the end, yeah, that made sense. That totally resonates and finds a place where it's just, it feels right and it feels whole and it feels very satisfying. And of course, your book, Character Arc, which is excellent. It's that character arc across across multiple books, I think, which is, you may well have, I, I feel like I had a character arc with my main character in book one. And then I realized that her character arc kind of continued and if you do a series you do have to think about all these different things for each character it's not just the plot aspects right it's that comes to a nice conclusion it is also those character arcs and they also have to be long enough and varied enough for a series yeah it is good to think that these are two different things really outlining an individual book and then outlining a series so if you think you maybe you'll do another book on that at some point (laughs) I hope so. I hope I conquered enough to be able to have something to say about it. But we're getting there. I feel like I'm finally moving the needle a little bit. But it's definitely been a, an interesting experience. Yeah. Uh, okay. So getting back into uh, the book, you do talk about uh, a premise. And I feel like premise is one of those words that lots of different people use the word and often people mean different things. So how do you define a premise and why is it important for the outline? Yeah, so a premise, I think I often, I also think of it in different terms. I mean, it could, it could be your elevator pitch, it could be your log line, things like that. But for me, it's a one or two sentence description of the entire story. And it's not something I'll necessarily know at the beginning of an outline, because it, it's so condensed that I'm not necessarily going to be able to create it in a holistic way that reflects the story until later in the process. But I like to do it at some point because it does like really make you focus on what is the story really about. It strips away all of the extra stuff so that you can really see exactly what this story is and whether it actually makes sense on this super micro level. But what I like to do, there's several different templates I use, which I you can find in my outlining your novel workbook. And I also have a software that has all the same questions in it. But what I like to do is make sure that I'm identifying the protagonist, what he wants or his objective. And therefore what's, what the situation is that creates that want, where is he at the beginning of the story that has made him want what he's going to spend the rest of the book pursuing. And then also the antagonistic force or whatever is creating the obstacle that is preventing him from getting this thing right at the beginning. And I also like to focus on what is the, what's going to happen at the first plot point that's the disaster, if you will, that launches all of the rest of the book and then describes the main conflict. And then put that all together into one or two sentences so that you can really see how well connected things are. Because sometimes you can write one sentence about what the protagonist wants and all of this. And then you realize the antagonist isn't, doesn't actually make sense in that sentence because he or she is off doing something else that's ancillary and more of a subplot. And that can be really helpful in realizing that the whole story actually isn't working together as a solid unit. So it's definitely something, creating a premise sentence is definitely something I recommend at a certain point within the outline. Once you think you've got it and the plot's starting to come together, it's a great way to check yourself and make sure that it really is coming together as much as you want. And then it's also very handy later on when you do need an elevator pitch or a log line or something like that. 
or the blurb so this is actually Mm. I'm writing a tree of life at the moment as we record this and I have never put up a pre-order until I finish the first draft Mm. normally Mm. and then uh, I interviewed JD Barker earlier this year and he said he always writes the blurb first and I think the the back blurb for a book that we use as our sales description is a sort of slightly bigger version of what you're calling the Mm -hmm. premise it's got all of those aspects to it and once you have that if you're and I was like okay I really want to have a longer pre-order I want to uh, do this so I nailed that down and I the pre-order is up as as we record this it will be out by the time this goes live but it was so funny because I was so nervous about it and I was so worried about nailing it down I felt like this is a big step for me and yet I was so happy once it was done and it just made the book much Uh, clearer in my mind and of course it's only a few lines so it's not like a really detailed (laughs) outline or anything but I I think that really helped so is that another thing to consider is that sort of uh, publishing timeline in terms of having that copy yeah that actually reminded me I haven't done that for a while but I used to always write a blurb before I started writing first or before I started writing the outline um, and it wasn't something I shared, and very often the blurb I'd write in the beginning didn't end up being exactly accurate. But in itself, it, it's an outline. And I think for some people, that's probably outline enough. It just it gives you a focus and it helps you see if it's something that has enough inherent conflict and drama and entertainment to pull forward. I write so slowly, in particular <laughs> right now with this book, that I would never personally want to put a blurb out for a pre-order before I finish the book. But that's just me because I'm just an excessively slow writer. <laughs> but I think that I do put blurbs up on my website, though, to let people know what I'm working on. But I'm not afraid to change them later on. I'll put up in the beginning, this is what I think I'm writing about. And then if it turns out I need to tweak it later on, I'll change it. And most people probably don't ever notice. (laughs) But I'm not afraid of changing it as I go if I need to. And I will most likely tweak mine, but Mm. it's enough that it represents what the story will be. But then I guess that's another point, isn't it? Is even if you have your outline, like I said, so maybe mine's three sentences. So I know the theme, I know the main characters, I know the antagonist, I know some of the plot. And then it's okay, if you change things, that's okay. You're allowed to change your outline. A lot of people say a book never ends up the same as their outline. Yeah, totally. And I think that's another misconception that people that scares people off of outlines is that once you write it, that's it and you're stuck with it. And ideally, you write this perfect outline and you don't have to go back and change anything. But of course, you were never perfectly objective, no matter how zoomed out we are when writing the outline. And you discover things as you get into it and scenes play out a little bit differently in the micro of the characters interactions than you expected. And you adjust as you go. And I think that too is part of the discovery and you have to be willing to be flexible enough and to be in that that creative flow while still also maintaining that logical view of how the story needs to come together. Because it's fun to get carried away by flights of fancy, but sometimes we can do that and then end up writing this whole big subplot that actually doesn't fit into the main story and was objectively a waste of time. And that's fine if you want to play with it, but if you are going to get frustrated by that, it's good to also be have the outline to be able to come back to it and say, that's really not going to fit into the overall picture of what I'm trying to do here. 
And I think that is definitely what happened to me. I was thinking that I would have this whole subplot around alchemy and it fitted into what I thought the idea was originally. And then as I got into it, I was like, no, I can't. Alchemy is such a huge (laughs) thing. If you start going down the alchemy rabbit hole, you end up with a different book. And I really wanted to focus on the Garden of Eden and the interesting stuff around that. And um, so I really, I cut that out quite early on, whereas I think if I had just done what I normally do and just started writing, I probably would have ended up with a sort of hybrid alchemy slash Garden of Eden (laughs) thing, which would have been fine, I'm sure. But I just feel I agree with you about it helps you narrow things down. So one of the things I've always really done is the scene list. So you mentioned a scene list in the book. And I think I've really only had five or six scenes when I before I start writing. So what do you mean by a scene list? And how do we populate that? Yeah, so for me, the scene list is the very last thing I do in the outlining process. The beginning, as I say, is pretty freeform. It's this brainstorming period where I'm just trying to discover all of the main points of the story and how the overarching structure is going to fit together and what needs to happen in each of those sections. And then once I feel like I've got a clear view on that, then I'm ready to move into the scene by scene list. And you can be as um, detailed or not as you want to be on this. I think just listing, and I honestly, I start with that, just a list of this is what happens in this scene. This is what happens in this scene. But I also like to, for me, I like to take it a little further and really examine what's going to happen in these scenes on a structural level. And I like the classic scene structure approach, which is breaks the scene into action and reaction. And it goes through goal, conflict, obstacle or disaster, um, reaction, dilemma, and decision. And it just creates this really nice cycle because the decision at the end of one scene leads right into the goal for the next. And so you, you can always make sure that every scene is building into the next. So that is my primary focus in creating a scene list is making sure I have at least nominally every one of those pieces so I can see that every scene is going to lead into the next, that I have a strong character goal and focus for each scene, and that I'm allowing the character development to come through the cause and effect. So I will create that for each of the scenes that I feel is going to be in the book. And that kind of also allows me to get a sense for how long the book's going to be, how long I want it to be, and to time out the the structural timing, because I can see like how many scenes are going to be in each section and try to wrangle that before I actually get into the first draft. Mm, I definitely don't do that. (laughs) 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 But what I do is I have a cut, this one, I had maybe 15 one-liners, but my one-liners are very much character in setting and what happens. And then, and literally that's it. And then I will write it. I'll write two and a half thousand words, for example. And then I will, then I'll address what is, is there enough conflict? What are the open questions that have happened? What is the value shift? The um, Robert McKee story, Mm. also in Sean Coyne's story grids book, that value shift, is there enough movement in, in that way? And then I might just add something or change something in the scene to make sure I've got all of those elements. So it's so interesting, isn't it? Like when people do different things and that's probably a big message for people. Like yeah. it doesn't matter. Everyone finds their own way. Yeah. I think that's a great example of how to do basically the same thing from two slightly different balances 
of what's going on. And I think a lot of it is that for me, the, the writing part is the hardest part. It's the part that's that I like, not the least necessarily, but it's just it requires so much focus and energy that I'd rather do as much as I can before I get to that part. And a lot of people, for a lot of people, the, the writing part is the best part. That's the fun part. That's where they'd rather spend the most time. So again, it really depends on what's going to optimize your creativity and your playfulness and, and what is most enjoyable for any particular writer and their way of thinking about the story. My favorite part is book research. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love research. And in fact, I research a lot as I write. So I have like loads of mm. internet tabs open and I go down rabbit holes and all of that. So yeah, we all have our process. But I do want to ask, because if people are interested in the traditional publishing industry, it's off, they're often asked for, say, three chapters and an outline. And that to me, like, is quite dangerous. If a publisher asked me for that before I, like, I have three chapters. As we speak right now, I have three chapters of Tree of Life. And I don't have an outline that I would give to anyone. And, it, and I'm sure it will turn out com- completely different to what I thought. <laughs> anyway, so if an agent or a publisher asks an author for an outline of a book, what do they mean by that? That's, I'm probably not the best person to ask about that because I don't have a lot of experience with the traditional side of things. I would imagine though they're, what they're wanting is more of the Roman numeral thing and probably one to three pages. And just to get a sense of the overall story and to feel like, yes, this author knows what they're doing. Yes, we like the direction this story is taking. And if, if there's already a contract going on, then to be able to say, oh, we think you should tweak this before you get to the, the actual writing of it which to me would be a very difficult way to work. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's probably what they're asking for. And they, they're not, unless they specify differently, they're not looking for a huge long um, description of every scene necessarily. They just want to see the overall arc of the story and, and where you're going with it. And what I probably suggest to people is the reverse outline, which is an outline you write after you finish the book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which really helps. And I think they're probably looking for indication of genre and making sure it's, it is what it is. Uh, and also maybe that you know what you're doing. But I, I do reverse outlines. So for example, once I finished a book, I will just a couple of lines per chapter rather than scene, for example. And so that I remember what the hell happened when I have to write the next book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I do that too. I do. I have a what I call a story structure database on my site where I sometimes break down books and movies to show the, the main structural points. And I like to do that for my own books. And I reference it all the time. What happened at the first plot point in this book? And what happened at the, the midpoint in this book? And it's so useful to be able to see the, the summary of stuff that I've already written. Oh, yeah. And the trouble is, the longer you leave it in your career, the Mm. worse it gets. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, I still haven't done a lot of my backlist, but I try and be more organized now. I wanted to ask about your fiction career, because when I was when I went back to your website and I was like, I know you wrote in this genre and now you're you're writing books in all kinds of genres (laughs) under one name so I wonder how you choose the books you decide to write and also how do you do marketing across such diverse genres yeah that's a good question actually it's something I have not completely figured out an answer to and at a certain point, I'm just because it, it, ha- I'm going to write what I want to write. Basically, I've always that's always been what's important to me. 
And it's turned out that I do write like a, quite a bit of diversity within genre and that kind of thing. And it, it is difficult to market. It's I often think about people like you who are writing thrillers or or romance writers, and I'm just like, oh, that that, that would be the life, man. That would be the life because it, <laughs> it would just be so much simpler. But it's something I'm still struggling with. I did play with a pen name for the last book and wasn't happy with it, and just felt like at this point in my career, it's too late to really switch over to something completely new that people are won't be able to find. And I'm okay with that. At some point, maybe I will really work on figuring that all out. But I like the freedom of it. I like that I can write whatever I want and that it's not something where there's a lot of reader expectation for me to fill certain genre points. So it's really, that has always been important to me that I've always said, like, my fiction is the one part of my career that I've totally protected from my workaholic tendencies in the sense of, like, I have to write to the market, I have to write a book every year, because that's just not my process. And so I feel like I've been pretty successful in protecting my creativity from my own pressure, even though it totally, what I write totally is not optimized to the market or whatever. In a lot of ways, I feel like my fiction and my nonfiction are symbiotic, that the, the, the work I do with helping writers become authors and the nonfiction writing craft books is really where the business is at. It's where I'm earning my living. But I couldn't do that if I wasn't doing the fiction, because that is what breathes life into the teaching. That's what teaches me so that I have something to say. And, it, and I couldn't do the fiction if I wasn't doing the nonfiction and, and being able to you know, earn a living in that way. So it's a, a very strange symbiotic relationship, but I am, for the most part, I'm, I'm happy with it at this point and am not unhappy that the fiction is so hard to market. I love that. And I think it's very important. I also sometimes wish I had stuck with, <laughs> with one series, like just gone deep with one series, but that would just be boring. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think with my JFN, with my fiction brand, I'm now feeling the same as you, which is, you know what, I'm just going to write the books I want to write. And I know mm. that some readers will not read different series. Like I get emails all the time saying, why don't you write another one of those books or where's it in the next arcane books and it's I'm writing something else right now but I might get back to it so do you feel that your readers uh, cross uh, you know all your books or do they for example if someone likes the western they might not read the fantasy I feel like there's quite a good mix of people who are interested in my fiction some people just read it because they've read my nonfiction or my writing instruction and they want to see if I practice what I preach and that kind of thing, which (laughs) is always really scary. (laughs) And um, then there's some people who are attracted to particular genres and there's some people who just want to support me because they like the, the writing teachings. And then I feel like there is this core reading group who will follow me anywhere, so to speak, that they're okay with the weird diversity of what I'm doing. And really there is a a scarlet thread through it all in that I am doing lots of different genres, but mostly it is all speculative historical kind of stuff. And so there is, if you, if you like the style, if you like the vibe that continues from book to book. And so I feel like there is this core readership who just likes the style, who likes that approach and will follow me through my weird subgenres that I, I travel through. (laughs) I love that. And yeah, we do have a voice as a writer and some people just like that voice and keep coming back. And that's, you can have a career writing diverse books as as you do and and I do. So yeah, I hope that encourages people. We are not right to market people. (laughs) (laughs) Hallelujah. 
No, exactly. Uh, so I want last question. I we met online, I think over a decade ago, like yeah. on Twitter when I was in Australia. And you've been blogging at helpingwritersbecomeauthors.com for I think over a decade. I think this is eleven years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I wow. think we yeah we met when our sites were quite new. And but I wonder because you're you, you look like you're still blogging. So how does blogging fit into the nonfiction side of your business? And do you recommend it for authors? Like what has changed with your blogging? I guess. I think when I first started out, as I'm sure with you, it was like that was the thing. That was the big marketing advice. You have to have a blog. And at the time, I was interested particularly in marketing my fiction. Um, but it was like what am all these diverse subgenres, which at the time I didn't even know how diverse they were going to get. But what am I going to blog about that has to do with this? And the obvious thing was, well, I'll blog about. And that kind of became its own thing, obviously. And it's just it's something that, yeah, I still do. And I still feel is very much the center of my platform and of what I do. And it's something that I am very committed to continuing doing. And I think if it's changed, it's more that it's deepened. And I think maybe that's also just a reflection of, I I look back to some of the things I wrote in the beginning and I'm like, wow, why did anybody read this? This is, (laughs) 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 what were you thinking? But as I've learned more, I feel like I've been able to get more and more real with what I'm sharing and to um, really explore in deeper and deeper topics. I feel like the books that I published kind of they're a reflection of my interest in story theory and how that's deepened going from outlining to structuring your novel to character arcs. Now I'm working on theme. I'm getting really excited and getting ready to do a series about progressive archetypal character arcs that we see as an extension of the idea of the hero's arc, but continuing through all three acts of a human life. Yeah, it's just, it's exciting to be able to deepen my own experience of writing and then be able to share that in what I hope is a meaningful way with other people. And it's been very rewarding to me. Some, some weeks, obviously, it's a drudge and you're like, oh, I don't want to do this. But it has been such a rewarding experience for me just above and beyond it, it being my job, so to speak. But to be able to to have to dig deep within myself and be able to articulate the things that I'm learning and discovering, and then to be able to share that with people who are excited and interested in it. That's, it's just, it's such a cool and rewarding thing. And I think Mm -hmm. to some extent, if you're wanting to do that with your own stories or your own marketing or whatever, that it's, it's all about finding the topic that you're passionate enough about to continue doing year after year, week after week. And if you can do that and you're willing you know, to put in the work and the discipline to keep it going, it's, it can be such a rewarding thing. And after, and if you're around for 10 years, if you've been doing this for 10 years, it's, it's something that really does build this wonderful organic platform of readers who you can interact with. But yeah, I do still recommend it. I think, as I say, the trick is finding the, the topic that you're going to blog about. But I think within the right context that it is still one of the most powerful marketing tools that's available to us right now. And yeah, I've pivoted mainly more into podcasting. Mm-hmm. I barely ever blog and now, but I write an article, which I then turn into a podcast. So uh, I just recorded one for my books and travel podcast around the city of Bath, where I live. And that really feeds into my fiction. And it, it's so interesting. I love that we've known each other now for a decade. <laughs> and it, so many people have fallen by the wayside as such, or cho- yeah. you know, chosen to do other things. Yeah. They've chosen a different path. And there's a few of us who we all met 
met that uh, during that time. And those of us who are still going have built a very viable business on just being around a long time and continuing yeah. to serve an audience. <laughs> yeah. You've been very consistent with serving an audience and, and so have I. So uh, good on us. Yeah. <laughs> And I hope people listening, the big tip there is do it for the long term and you will happily do it if Mm -hmm. you love it. If you don't, you'll change your mind and do something else. So fantastic. We're out of time. So where can people find you and your books online? Yeah. So the best place is probably my writing website, which is helpingwritersbecomeauthors.com. And um, my books are on Amazon, obviously, and I'm on Twitter and Facebook. So if you want to connect with me there, that's always fantastic. Great. Thanks so much for your time, Katie. That was brilliant. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. So I hope you found the interview with Katie useful today, whether you're outlining your book at the beginning or later on in the process, as I do, a reverse outline, or if you're struggling with blocks or maybe you need to refill your creative well. And remember, on Outlining a Series, I talked to Lindsay Baroka about that in episode 498, and that's a super useful interview as well. So next week, I'm talking to Michael Laron about mental models for writers, how to write a book on your phone, which is fantastic. I just had to ask him about that. The empowerment of self-publishing and the mindset around it, YouTube tips, authors of colour and more. So in the meantime, remember to check out the limited time NaNoWriMo story bundle packed full of books on writing craft, marketing, business and mindset at storybundle.com forward slash nano N-A-N-O. Happy writing and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.